Welcome back to Lexi's Lounge, your home for mind, body, business, and marketing. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. Today, I'm chatting with Jennifer, and we are talking about building a legacy of wealth through real estate. You guys, this is so important. This conversation has so many juicy tidbits and takeaways, so let's get started. Jennifer, welcome to Lexi's Lounge. What are you drinking today? Hey, thank you for having me. I am drinking just plain old boring water with a little bit of lemon doTERRA um, essential oils because I like to get my essential oils in there. Um, but I'm just drinking plain old boring water. Me too. I I tried to give up coffee because it kind of gave me the runs every day and I wasn't really looking mm. forward to that. <laughs> I don't oh my like my, how my heart like goes when I drink too much caffeine. I'm Flutter. I'm not a coffee. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a caffeine girl. Me. Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. When it like makes your adrenaline go up. Well, I think I read that somewhere that coffee actually is, um, it doesn't like help you wake up. It actually just like boosts your adrenaline. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a doctor, but that's what I heard. So that was interesting. I would believe that because it definitely makes my heart go. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, I've got to do this email and I've got to do this text and everything's just like crazy, crazy. So yeah, maybe it is the adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast today because you are somebody who is out to spread the word about building a wealth of legacy or a legacy of wealth. I keep mm -hmm. trying to say generational wealth, but give us a little bit of your background, who you are, what you do. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. Um, so I am a mortgage lender. Um, I have been in the mortgage business for 25 years. This is my only big girl job that I've ever, ever had. Um, and that's a whole other story. We could have like a whole podcast, like you would need tissues, but, um, but I got in the business really, really young and um, learned it really from the back forward. Um, so learned how to do all of the behind the scenes things, the paperwork, all the boring stuff that, um, you know, you as a consumer, anyone as a consumer is never going to really see that side of things. And then um, just really decided once my kids were grown and gone that it was time for me to, you know, really start spreading what I have learned and help give back and kind of pull people forward with me. Um, and then this whole legacy wealth has really just become the thing that I've focused in on so much because I tend to work with a lot of clients who tell me like, no one in my family's ever owned a home. And it just like, it gives me chills. It kind of sometimes gets me a little choked up because, you know, there's, there's so much to do so much wealth that we can pass on to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children, um, really just with, you know, honestly, real estate. And, um, it's not like a snake oil thing. I know people are like, Ooh, she's going to like teach us how to like buy houses for a thousand dollars. No, um, but just really thinking about the the legacy of that building that wealth um, in a little bit different light is what I really like to do is just give people a different perspective. Yeah, because I feel like when people think about mortgage lenders or mortgage brokers, they're like stuffy, boring, lots of money. So I'm glad <laughs> that, <laughs> that you are sharing this because... The fact that you said that you went through this and that now you are so passionate about it that you are spreading the word with everybody else, that really is a true leader. So first of all, I want to thank you for the work you're doing because not a lot of people are in it for just sharing, you know, like when you're so passionate about it, you have that fire inside you that you just like can't keep it to yourself. 
I think that's super cool. And it's not really just about the money for you. So um, oh, I love that. You. But you said there's something about legacy wealth and I don't even know what that is. So can you please break that down for people like me? Yes, absolutely. So it's it sounds a lot cooler than it is. Um, it's really just leaving a legacy and leaving a legacy, you know, in my opinion, and I think lots of people have a different um, take on this, but it's like leaving a legacy to your children, to your children's children, um, you know, and a generational wealth, you kept saying that, but like that, that is, it is basically the same thing. It's just kind of like the new chic term is the legacy wealth building. Um, but it's just a way of making sure that you are passing it forward and you know giving your children a leg up not just giving them the newest latest coolest nikes and iphone and beats and you know all of this stuff which you know do it don't do it i'm not hating on any of that but you know really setting them up for more than just being the cool kid at school you know really giving them that um, lifestyle where they can decide that they want to work or they can decide they want to um, share their passions and follow their passions and, you know, take a year off to, you know, circle the globe or whatever. Um, those are things that not everyone has the, um, the privilege of doing those things. And so, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, um, I've got kids. I don't know if your listeners are typically people who are parents, but we always want the absolute best for our kids. We want better than what we even had. Um, and so this legacy thing, like I said, it just really stepped kept coming up for me, especially in dealing with a lot of my clients who told me, like I said, that they've never even owned a home. No one in their family's ever owned a home. And so I was like, okay, I want to dig into that. I want to learn what does that look like? How can I educate people about that and then help them so that their children never, no one in their family ever says that again. I love that. That That's just incredible because I mean, for me, my parents, I feel like I was kind of raised in this household where it was like, you work for what you get. And so that was always kind of like my mindset. It was always, it was either you survive or thrive. And I chose to thrive. And I, you know, that's mm -hmm. the word that people have used about me a lot is that you're driven. And, um, when I actually went back a little while ago and I listed out everything that I did from like age 16 to age current. So in the last, how many years is that? Nine years. Um, it was insane because when I was 19 years old, my boy, then boyfriend at the time, now husband, we bought a house together. And I was like, I'm 19 years old. I just got off of working at Starbucks where I was going to ASU, getting my bachelor's degree in communications. And then they were paying for that, mind you. But Starbucks paid me like $10 an hour, if that. And I got this opportunity where I bumped up to 15. It was full time. It was like a big girl job. And I'm like, yeah. So, in retrospect, I'm like, dang, it would have been nice to like not have a college tuition that I'm now paying for, which was only like half of what it would be because I did running start. But moving forward, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a huge accomplishment. And that job helped me make that accomplishment a reality. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like what you said is something that a lot of people deal with is how they're like, oh, I can never buy a house, but it actually is like, it's not as hard as you would think, right? Mm -hmm. Not for, I mean, it wasn't that, I mean, you just, I feel like the first step, you have to talk to a, a lender for sure to see what you can even afford. 
right? What's what would right. be a good first step for somebody? Talk to a lender and understand, you know, I feel like too, that we as a society, we are a microwave generation where we're standing in front of the microwave, tapping our foot because it, it's going to be 30 seconds for our breakfast burrito to warm up. And, <laughs> and so, you know, that, that is the thing. And I think that you can never start too early ever. Even if you are listening and you are in college and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just like barely keeping myself alive and like this plant in my dorm room, I can't even imagine paying for a mortgage. Um, you know, you still need to know what the path looks like for you to get there. So knowing what that, you know, what your specific hurdles are going to be and starting to plan. And here's, here's my analogy. People who know me call me the analogy queen, but like, let's just say you decided you wanted to run a 5k. Now, Lexi, you look like you probably could just wake up tomorrow and go run a 5k, but But for someone like me or someone, you know, who hasn't been um, super active or doesn't, you know, necessarily take care of their body the right way, it's a process. You know, I think if you wanted to run a 5K, you would first talk to maybe a running coach. Okay. You know, what should I do? How fast should I run? When should I run? What should I start doing? And then you would talk to a nutrition coach. How do I get the right nutrition that I need? And then, you know, how much water should I be drinking? And, you know, all of those things, because it would take you some time to ramp up to the point where you could go run three miles without dying (laughs) outside. Right. And so it's the same thing with getting a loan is people think, oh, I want to buy a loan or I want to buy a house. I'm just going to call up this person and I want to go do it today. Yes. I literally will get calls from people standing in an open house going, how do I buy this house? And I'm like, oh, dear heavens, not saying you can't do that. And I still will take the call. But, um, you know, usually it's, there's a little bit more of a ramp up period. So that's number one is it's never too early to start getting information about what that looks like. You plan for your college, you plan for babies, you plan for all sorts of things. This is one of those things you also should plan for. Um, And then based on where you are and kind of what that lender tells you about your specific circumstances, that will determine what the next few steps are for you. Um, But really that's the first step. Yeah. I remember when I, when we first were like, okay, let's try to buy a house. It was contacting the lender and miraculously us both making like total less than $29 an hour. We got approved for a $250,000 mortgage. We bought our first house for 244. And then two years later, less than capital gains, we didn't actually get charged because we were in a lower tax bracket, but um, we sold that house. We made $90,000 and it was insane because like, okay, that's more than some people make in two years. You know, that's some, that's more than some people make in almost five years. So we felt really blessed and fortunate to be able to be in that position. And then we actually took that money, flip, flip that money and then built this house that I'm doing this podcast in. The, in the closet. This is the master closet. Um, but That's a fancy closet, Lexi. You know what? <laughs> I have a blanket and I'm on the floor and I'm like, it's freezing in here. Oh. But you know, what's interesting now is my husband and I, we actually Airbnb our, this house out. Like we built our dream house and then we're like, let's Airbnb it and see what happens. And we actually made 
$50,000 in the first year of doing this. I mean, and our rates were lower than what they are now because of the real estate. So can you talk more? Because I know we've, we've talked about this, but what the real estate aspect is in building legacy wealth. Yes. Well, you hit the nose on, you hit, hit, hit the the thing right on the head, right? Hit it right on the nose. So here's the thing is that when I'm sitting with the first time buyer, it's, it's crazy to me, the thought process. And I think you, you coming from where you've come from, you have this mentality of constant, that driven, you know, constant churning, but not everybody has that mentality. And if your family is a family that's always only lived in rentals, Um, the idea of owning something is kind of a foreign concept. And then when I'm sitting here talking to you about not only can you own it, but you can use it as a money-making tool, people start looking at me like I've got three heads and they're like, she's trying to sell me something and I don't understand what it is she's trying to sell me, but this is scary. And so one of the things I do when I sit with people is I show them the projected appreciation because what you just said is a lot of people if you were to start saving today now you are probably the exception Lexi but if if a random person on the street just were decides to start saving today to save ninety thousand dollars in two years that would be really difficult right do you agree oh my god I can't I probably wouldn't even be able to do that within like five years save it no (laughs) save no I I will buy a car and I will make an investment with it Right. But that's the thing. That's the beauty of owning real estate. And, you know, one of the things I tell people as well is the the secret to money that the rich know, right? These mean old rich people know is that money has velocity. It has energy. It's like a two-year-old with coffee or caffeine or chocolate and it's running around, right? It's running, 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 running. And so we want to put it to good use. We want our money to work as hard for us as we work for our money. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple concept, right? Yeah. And real estate is a fairly simple, easy way to do that, to build that legacy wealth. And so you guys took your 90,000 that you got out of your house and you took it and you built your big, beautiful dream house. But instead, let's just say that, and this isn't a bad thing, but let's just say your choice instead was to put 45,000 into another home and then take the other 45,000 and put it into a straight up investment property. Then you have two properties one you're living in, obviously, right? No, no, no. Before the market gets so high. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just a different way of looking at things, right? And so you guys are doing, you're turning your current home into a, a more wealth building tool and the market's continuing to raise. So you get to live in the investment. But the, 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 the big difference, the big idea here is really thinking differently about the property Instead of it being where I live, which is what people who typically have been renters for the majority of their life and they are renter mentality is the the difference is, is not this is just where I'm living. This is my investment and it's important to take care of it. You know, it's important to do the maintenance on it and the AC and, you know, all of these things. And, and really think about it in terms more critically than like getting super attached to it and being like having a lot of um, 
sentimental value around it is this is an investment. We happen to live here and yes, we raise our children here and that brings all of the warm fuzzies that we have, mm -hmm. but it's an investment. And how can we continue to maximize on that investment? And not only that, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself now, but you know, people can leverage their current homes into other homes without having to sell them. And that's where you really start. Have you ever played, I'm sure you've played Monopoly, right? And you get four little houses and you turn them in and you get a hotel and then you go for hotels and, you know, all of this stuff. It's the same concept. You want to just continue to acquire real estate because as it goes, it just continues to grow. It has money babies. I call them money babies. It's like bunny rabbits. The money just keeps growing and has money babies. And that is the that is the secret that a lot of the rich know that I want to share with the rest of the world is that it's not about taking things from other people. It's your money has this energy and it continues to produce and just grow. And it just becomes this big, big thing. It's like bunny rabbits continuing to have bunny babies. Yeah, there's a lot of those. My cats like to show me. But yeah, that is <laughs> That's so true. I mean, I just think about like my, my um, first investment, the money baby that that had is this house. And I know that if we were to sell this house right now, um, we, we built it from, I mean, property with the property purchase to us being able to move in. We financed like 420 and that's in the Seattle ish area, like 40 minutes oh, wow. from Seattle where they're building a huge Amazon warehouse. Like, yeah. Uh, between Boeing and that huge Amazon warehouse. I mean, there's like so much growth over here. And I know that we could sell our house for like three, 300, maybe even 400,000 over that. So just thinking about that $90 or $90, nine, $90,000 and turning that into like three or 400,000, like that blows my mind. Cause we've just barely been in this house for two years now. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we're seeing. It. We're seeing, I'm in Tennessee, and we are seeing a 20% appreciation growth year over year. Now, disclaimer, this is not normal, okay? Right now, it's not normal. Um, but you still have traditionally seen anywhere from 3 to 10% steady growth in real estate. It's always been a very safe bet for the most part. And, you know, now we're seeing, you know, crazy, like doubling your money in two years kind of a thing. And so then it's like, okay, what do we do with that? How do we turn that into creating legacy wealth for our children and their children and their children? Um, and how do we, you know, help, you know, I, I like to give back too. So how do we then bring people forward with us? Because as the prices continue to rise, it is it is becoming a little bit more difficult for people to qualify for that first home. I mean, that is something I'm seeing. And the biggest, the biggest hurdle to that is debt. Yeah. People, you know, for every $600, that is $100,000 in purchasing power for property. So right now, the average car payment in America is $557. So people are literally driving around in $100,000 worth of real estate buying potential power because they got to keep up with the Joneses, got to have that, that fancy car, $600 car payment. <laughs> that is a great point. Um, if you are listening to this, make sure that you think about that because 
my husband, one of the things that I hated about him, but I actually love now is that he drives the most piece of shit, ugly cars I can find. And I'm like, I, I mean, I call his car the drug runner because it has like, <laughs> holes in it, hardly has a fender. And I mean, the windows don't even work. Like I can't even open my car door from the inside. And I have to like, it's one of those roll crank windows and I have the, the arm fell off of it. So I have to like hold the arm on and then crank. I mean, it's such a piece <laughs> of crap, but he bought it for 1200 bucks on Craigslist and it's reliable. I'm not really sure how safe it is, but it works. Right. Um, and then I have my mom car, my SUV. And then he's had this truck that he's had for forever that he now uses for his business. But, um, if I were to actually take away my car payment, like that's just insane about how many years we pay for that over and over and over. So what that could actually turn into, I think it's more of like, I think the priority has to be, do you want to have a house? Like, do, would you rather buy a house or drive a nice car? And that's what you really have to go down to in the beginning. Like if you're trying to make it a reality, if you have to pinch penny somewhere. Yeah. And that, that is the biggest hurdle that I see is the debt, the debt for the average consumer. And just like with fats, you know, we hear the nutritionists talk about good fats and bad fats with debt. There is good debt and bad debt. And so, you know, one of the things you want to think about is having debt on an appreciating asset, which appreciating just means that that particular thing goes up in value over time versus a depreciating asset, which is something that goes down in value over time. Mm -hmm. So like credit cards, credit cards would not be something you would want to have a significant amount of debt in a credit card because you're paying like 20, 25% interest and you're really not getting anything for that. Now, I'm not saying I ha I'm hating on credit cards. Credit cards are actually a huge tool in making sure you have a really healthy credit score. But bad debt could be things like a vehicle. And I get that all of us, we need to, we need a vehicle, right? We've got to get our kids from here to there. We've got to go to work. We've got to do all of that. So I'm not hating again on vehicles. I just think that it's, it has to be something you think about as you're doing your priorities and your budget. Um, another rule of thumb, you know, people say your house should be about four times your annual salary. So what you spend on your house should be about four times your annual salary. And a car should be about equivalent to what your annual annual salary is. Um, so you don't ever, you don't ever want to have, you know, like if somebody is like, you know, working at Starbucks and making 40,000 a year, that person should not be driving a vehicle that is worth 60 or 80 or a hundred thousand dollars. That makes no sense. Right. <laughs> that, that, the way you phrase that though, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I think a lot of people buy like, okay, they're like, I want a Range Rover, but I make 50,000 a year, you know, unless, it's <laughs> but I mean, I think, I think a lot of car purchases just to get a little psychological i feel like a lot of car purchases are for the status it's like a status symbol instead of i mean i'm just getting from point a to b and maybe that's coming from my dad talking in my head when i was a kid he was like because i wanted like the the first car i had it was a 1200 toyota tercel and it squealed it was so, it. like i <laughs> can hear the squeal in my nightmares it was so loud and then I traded that in and I got a um, Volkswagen Golf like or a GTI. And that thing was like the nicest, fastest, cutest little car. But 
the problem with it is that sensors went out in it all the time and each sensor was like two, $300 to fix. So then I ended up getting um, a Mazda CX-3. And then that one was like $30,000, brand new off the lot, which why would I do that? And then after that, I didn't want a car payment. So I went upside down in that one somehow I like paid the rest off, bought like a $1,200 Mazda three for my friend's mom, drove that into the ground. And then now I have a car payment again. I'm like, dang, that's like, honestly, not having a car payment was so nice. But I, I, again, in my priorities would rather have a house than a car payment. Like I will at this point drive a safe piece of shit. Well, and you know that you've come to that conclusion. And I think that sharing the journey of, I think we've all done those things, you know, I mean, my dad, he taught, tried to teach me as well, you know, that cars are not a thing. And I remember even at one point us having a, a loud discussion. um, And I was like, I will always have a car payment. I mean, hello, it's the American way. And of course, I'm telling him that at like 20 something. And of course, now I drive a 2003 or 2006 Honda Pilot that's got 110,000 miles on it. And I'm like, I don't ever want this thing to die because I don't ever want to have a car payment again. And my husband's car is paid for. And I'm like, oh, at some point, we probably do need to get different vehicles. But I just, oh, I just can't hardly bring myself to do it. But for us, it's a lifestyle change. It's a lifestyle choice. We love to travel. We love to cruise. We love to go on, you know, all-inclusive vacations. And so, you know, I'm not here trying to like wag my finger at people and say, you know, if you do this, you're bad and all, you know, whatever, but just understand that it's a priority thing. You really have to think you know, um, critically about does, what do you, what kind of enjoyment do you get from that vehicle or from that vacation or from those, those clothes or shoes or whatever? And is it worth not being able to build that wealth legacy and not being able to invest in other things? Because life is just a series of choices. If we say no to something or say yes to something, we are saying no to the possibility of everything else with our time, with our money, with our energy resources. I mean, it just really comes down to that. And again, not to be super, you know, psychological, but like that's, I mean, that's literally how life is, you know, it's just that simple. Um, And so just being able to have those investments in real estate and being able to see that wealth building. So, you know, once you get in a position like what Lexi's in and, you know, you say, hey, I'm sitting on, you know, dollars $400,000 worth of equity. That's where you can then decide you want to leverage that even further into something else. And that's where, you know, that's how you really build that legacy. You want to turn your your little houses, you want to get your four little houses and then turn those into hotels and turn those into, you know, different things. So, um, but that's, that's, and it doesn't have to be super complicated, right? It doesn't have to be that complicated. You don't have to actually go that route, but that is one thing. And what I've seen some people do too is tap into their equity and maybe then buy stocks and bonds or something besides real estate to diversify their portfolio from real estate into something else. Because you're sitting on money. You literally have like a gold mine in the in the, the floorboard of your kitchen. Like it's like boom, like you've got gold. You dig up gold. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So if, if somebody wants to buy a house for the first time, they don't really feel like they should. First thing you should do, no matter what is reach out to a lender and just talk to them about 
how you can start to qualify. It may require some lifestyle changes. It may not. Yeah. But after they buy that first house, what is something that first time homeowners or people just in their homes right now, what is something they can do? That's like a surefire way to build equity in their homes and in their investment their investment well it just really depends on the home and i know that's not what the answer you were looking for but bathrooms and kitchens are the two places you know if you watch five minutes of hgtv you know bathrooms and kitchens are the place and you don't have to go in and do a big huge like hgtv like million dollar renovation and you want to be careful too not to over improve the property for the other homes in the neighborhood so for instance, let's just say that you live like there's a neighborhood right behind us and they are, um, it's a whole neighborhood of three twos, about 1500 square feet um, with basically four sides of vinyl siding, right? And so you're going to see things like um, probably, you know, not full actual wood cabinets. You're not going to see a lot of granite. You may see a lot of, um, you know, the faux granite that looks really nice, but isn't actual granite. Um, maybe not stainless steel appliances, not actual tile. You may have the um, the vinyl planks and things like that. Very much looks very nice, right? But let's just say you get this wild hair and you're like, ooh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to put in, you know, all stone or marble or, you know, hardwoods and things like that. You're not going to see a dollar for dollar increase in your equity over the value because it's going to be compared right comparables we call in the mortgage business real estate we talk about comps we want to make sure that it's not over improved for the area um, you also want to try to buy the smallest house like so if the houses in that neighborhood are about 2500 square feet you want to go in with probably like 15 to 2000 you never want to be the biggest house in the neighborhood um, because you also don't get the same, the highest um, per square foot um, that you can. So you want to buy the smallest house in the nicest neighborhood. And you want to look for an ugly house, right? Nothing structurally wrong with it, but you want to find the house that hasn't really had the latest and greatest upgrades because then you can do those little tweaks here and there. So um, that's important. You know, the bathrooms, the kitchens are important. But again, don't go overboard. And honestly, maintenance, you guys, like I drive past some of the cutest little places and I'm like, do y'all not know how to rent a pressure washer? Like there is mold growing on the side of your house. Why? 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 You know, things like that is really, really important. Um, keeping the grass cut getting your HVAC service twice a year. I don't know where you guys are in Seattle, if y'all have like in inside like air conditioning and stuff like that, but um, do you, okay. Cause I know some places up North, I know, especially more of the Northeast you, there's, it's like hit or miss here in the South. We have to have air conditioning. We would die. <laughs> what people don't really realize about Washington state in general, at least on the West side is that it is so humid when it is hot because if you think about it it's 100 precipitation most yeah. days. <laughs> and then when the sun comes out and it gets warm like it doesn't become a dry heat it's like it's muggy and you're like muggy. it's like a sauna i i could be in 100 degree arizona weather but this 100 degree weather that we had in washington last year i felt like i was dying but we have very ac so that was okay one of the best investments we've ever made i will just say that 
Yes. Well, and so here in the South, we have the, the hot, steamy sauna as well. It's like, you know, 100 degrees with 100% humidity. And you're like, I need a mask, like oxygen mask just to breathe. Because I, <laughs> it's like we're not made to breathe like wet. We don't breathe water. So um, so getting your HVAC service twice a year, that will actually keep it going a lot fa better, faster, things like that. And that's what a potential buyer is going to be looking for and a home inspector is going to be looking for and all of those kinds of things. So, um, and really, I would honestly, anyone who's wanting to get some pointers about keeping their investment up is have your real estate agent, either your current one, or if you didn't use an agent, have them just come give you an idea because they are up to date on your area, your neighborhood, what is happening on the ground, boots on the ground with, with what they're seeing, you know, like what would you have to do to sell this house or yeah. what would you have to do to keep it up, you know, as high as possible. So they would be a, a better wealth of knowledge than me just kind of randomly spouting stuff here because every market is so different and every neighborhood is so different. So mm -hmm. Get a, get a professional's opinion to, to tell you because you don't want to spend money on stuff that just doesn't matter. That, yeah. that would be the pits is if you're like, I'm going to increase my value by 50000 and they go, mm, yeah, no, you don't get any of that back. I'm going to have a winemaker and it's going to make me $10,000. <laughs> or a fence. People will be like, I'm going to install this fence and it, it's going to be, and it's like literally on the appraisals, there's not a line item for fence. You don't get $10,000 in value for your fence. I'm sorry. <laughs> so who, come, who comes up with um, the when you it's the appraiser right or who's the one who values your home tells you your home's worth this it's not zillow or redfin no <laughs> it's not zillow thank you lexi <laughs> it's not zillow no there it for lending purposes it is the appraiser um now, now the realtors in your area can also do a cma which is a comparative market analysis um, where they just go in and pull comparables. Comparables are houses that are similar in size and design and feature to your home. And what have they sold for? Um, how long were they on the market? Which right now in most areas, they've been on the market for like two hours and they're sold for 50,000 over list price. Yeah. Um, so it just really depends on your market. And, but yeah, the actual appraiser determines actual value. They have licenses specifically to determine the actual value um, of the property. And it's based on comparable sales. Mm, okay. So we know not, we now know why real estate is so important because real estate's the biggest way you can make big money babies, right? Yes. Big money babies, lots of money babies. And there's one more question I have or something that I want to touch on before we do end this podcast episode, but you said money, uh, money is energy. And I was actually reading a book by Amanda Francis. Do you know who that is? She's mm -mm. the money queen. She's, um, on Instagram. I'll send you her link after this, but yeah, she, I was reading her book. It's called rich as fuck. And she was talking about how energy is money and it wants to support you and da da da. And I'm like, I just, I literally can't wrap my head around that yet. You know, when there's things you hear and like you hear them, you're like, I know what you said, but like, I don't understand it. I don't feel it mm -hmm. in my soul. I don't understand it yet. So what, when you say money is energy, can you go like, go like psychologically deep because I need to understand what this even means. Yes. Well, it just, it has the ability to create things. It has velocity. 
um, which my dad is a, a rocket scientist. So he says all of these engineering terms and like actually a <laughs> rocket scientist. Yeah. Like in Huntsville on the, on the arsenal. Yeah. He's, he works, he, he works to help put the next space vehicle up on the moon and he'll tell you about this and that. And it's like, it'll do what? Um, but he's, he's an engineer. So he's, he's the joke when they're like, it's not rocket science. And he's like, <laughs> well, it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can give you all the 57 different ways that it is, you know, because of course with engineers, nothing is just easy. Um, but no money has velocity. It has, it has the ability to create something and, you know, you take money, you invest it in a house and we've been talking about that. Right. And as you put your money into the house each month and you pay down that mortgage, it is like, it's, it's creating more and more and more and more. Right. And so when I say energy, I mean, more velocity, not energy as in karma or anything like that. So, um, but it just, it has the ability to create something different. You look at stocks, you put money into stocks and the money just, the value goes up. It doesn't, nothing really, it's not just in and of itself going up, but it's the values of things going up, right? So it's not, nobody's pouring more money into it. The money itself is creating this energy. Does that make more sense? Yeah. And so- you want to make sure that you're putting your money somewhere. You don't want to take a toddler and lock it in a playpen and then lock that playpen in a closet and be like, okay, no more energy for you today. You want to take it somewhere and be like, all right, let's create this big, beautiful thing. Like let's build a sandcastle. Let's build a fort. Let's do something with all of this energy and, you know, not just lock it away. And so I see people taking it and locking it away in, frivolous things, you know, we talked about, you know, keeping up the Joneses cars, when you put it into a car, it typically the value goes down in that car over time, it doesn't go up. Typically, you don't spend $60,000 on like, you know, a Tahoe for it to then next year still be worth 60,000 or 70,000 or 80,000, it typically goes down in value. Whereas your home, like you said, your house has been you've been in your house two years and it's almost doubled in value. That is an appreciating asset versus a depreciating asset. And that's where that energy comes in is it can either be completely lose its velocity, lose its energy because of what you do with it, or it can get even more energetic, you know, like a top spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And it just continues to get faster and faster and faster versus, you know, yeah. I guess the way that like my mind, the picture in my mind I see is like you put in like a dollar bill into one of those, like, let's just say a machine, right? You put it in and then like two pop out over there. And then like this mm-hmm. thing keeps happening, but you have to be smart with your investments. Like going to Chick-fil-A is not going to help your money be velocious. Velocious. Is that a word? Velocious. I love it. <laughs> The money's not going to be ferocious at Chick-fil-A, even though we do love their grilled nuggets. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and it, and it's about, it's about deciding where the best, you know, about priorities, you know, where the best for you is to see that money go. 
And, um, but you always want to keep it moving. You want to think of your money like a river and you don't ever want to put up, you know, the walls and make it like a dam. You want it to continue to flow um, and pick up things and drop off stuff. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing about it is that you don't want to ever make it be still. You want to keep that money churning, 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 churning. So make your smart investments, probably talk to a, wait, financial advisor or you, who would be better? Like if I want to buy a home, that's my goal. And I want to know like right now, if my goal is in the next year to buy a home, do I talk to you about like, okay, what can I do with my money? Like, where can I invest it? Where can I put it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I don't do securities. I don't have a securities license or anything like that, but I am a certified mortgage planner. There's a handful of us in the United States. And so what a certified mortgage planner does is we work in conjunction with a financial advisor, your insurance company, your um, tax accountant to help you, you know, legally pay as little in taxes as possible um, to make sure that you're really maximizing your dollars. And so I'm kind of at the center of that. And part of what I'm, my message is just making people think differently about their homes, because when people, the average person, when they retire, 83% of their money is in their home, not in a 401k, not in stocks and bonds. And so it goes hand in hand. I can't sell you stocks or bonds or advise you about the market, but I can say, hey, you have $400,000 in your home. Would you like to put that into a vehicle? to make it go get more money for you or would you like for it just to sit there and you know it's kind of like you're just sitting on this pile of money you've got this gold or do we want to dig it up and go give it a job give it a job to go do something and make more money Hmm. gotcha okay so there's a lot to think about in here I mean yeah you have given so many good tips, so many good ideas of ways that you can start saving money to reinvest the algorithm the algorithm, the formula you gave about how much you should purchase a car for and how much you should purchase a home for. I will never forget that. Um, So life change (laughs) moment. Thank you. You've, you've changed one life today and the people watching on TikTok. Um, But I just want to thank you so much for being on this podcast and I want everybody to hear the message that you are trying to spread. So where can they find you and how can they work with you? So um, on Instagram, I'm at Mortgages by J-O, and that's just J-O, Mortgages by J-O. Um, on, online, I'm at genauto2ns2ts.com. Um, I'm in Tennessee. I, I can serve all 50 states, so I would love to help you even just have a quick conversation. Um, can I give my phone number? Is that okay? Absolutely. So my cell phone number is area code 615 810 one, two, seven, seven, shoot me a quick text or give me a ring. Um, follow me on Instagram or check me out on my website. I would love to help you and just get you in touch with somebody. If you're wanting someone super local, local, I have connections all over the United States. Um, but I just really want to help people to continue to build that legacy of wealth and to continue to think a little bit differently than maybe they have in the past and just push them out of that comfort zone to grow. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. And um, I'm going to do a little Q&A with you off here. We'll look, go through the comments of TikTok and uh, we'll see if we can answer. Oh, fun. So we'll see you podcaster listeners later, later. Whoa.
podcast listeners later. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us in the lounge. Make sure to connect with us on social, leave some love in the reviews, and subscribe so you don't miss any future content. I am so excited to finally announce that I have a membership coming in 2022. It's specifically designed for multi-passionate entrepreneurs, which is something I have never seen before on the market. The waitlist is officially open and I could not be more excited. Scroll down hit the link and then join because this is something you're not going to want to miss. And there's exclusive bonuses if you do join the waitlist. I will see you there.